joy it is to worship your holy name. Lord, what a blessing it is we can gather together here and do just that. Oh, Lord, we look forward to that day when we see you face to face and for eternity we worship worship you face to face. Lord, as we just sang 10,000 years and then forevermore. Lord, we thank you for the opportunities we have like this to gather together and, and worship you and to study your word, Lord. And now we just ask that you would bless our time in your word. And we're, we have such a wonderful example in the life of Joseph, Lord. And our, our prayer, Lord, is that we leave here molded more and more into your image, Lord, and we see, we see how one man so uh, lived up to so many of, uh, so many Christ-like characteristics uh, in a human form. Lord, we want to, we want to follow suit. We want to follow you. We want to, we want to live for you. We want to be examples of you, Lord. We want to reflect you to the world around us. Bless our time in your word, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, if you would all stand up and greet one another tonight in the love of the Lord, and we'll get into our study. If you would take out your Bibles, open them up to Genesis chapter 41. Hey, no problem. Sounds like a good time over there. <laughs> hey, the joy of the Lord is our strength. All right, Genesis 41. If you'll remember last time, we were continuing our study in the life of Joseph, and we talked about the, uh, the fact he was in prison, and I uh, was there with the, uh, the, the Pharaoh's butler and his baker, and had interpreted their dreams for them, told them that within three days of, of these dreams, that, that uh, the, the butler, he was going to be restored to his position as the king's cupbearer, as the one who, who brought him his, his wine and, and did so many things for it, he'd be restored to his position with the Pharaoh. But the, the baker, on the other hand, in three days' time, was going to be executed. Those dreams were completely fulfilled, just as God revealed to Joseph for those. And if you'll remember, Joseph told, the, the butler told the cupbearer, he said, hey, when this comes true, tell Pharaoh about me. Don't forget about me. You know, may, there, I, I know there's going to be a job opening for a baker. Let him know that, you know, that let him, don't remember me. And we read in verse 23 of chapter 40, it says, Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. We pick up our study in verse 40, or chapter 41, the very next verse. It says, Now it happened at the end of two years. Two years later, after this had happened, from the time that we started our, our look when Joseph first got to Egypt, up until this point, he's been there 13 years now. 
And if you'll remember what he's gone through since he got there, he got there, he was sold into slavery. He worked his way up in his master's house, was in charge of everything, was accused falsely of, of, of trying to rape the, his, his boss's wife because she was jealous because he wouldn't sleep with her. So he gets thrown into prison, works his way up through the, the, the system in the prison because he's, they see God's spirit in him and reveals these dreams and, and totally forgotten again. All of these things going against this man, still following the Lord. So many Christians who have gone through far less than what Joseph has endured walk away. They, they, they give up. They give up trying. They, they even get mad at God. And maybe you've been in those situations before, going through difficulties, tough times. Maybe you're in one right now and you feel like giving up. You feel like throwing it in and just saying, it's, it's just not worth it. But we have to ask ourselves, like Peter, where else are we going to go? Jesus has the words of eternal life. And while it sounds that almost as an in-your-face in the book of Jeremiah, to me it's an encouragement. To me it's telling me that we are being built up in Jeremiah 12, 5, where it says, if you have run with footmen and they have tired you out, then how will you compete with horses? If you fall down in the land of peace, how will you do in the thicket of the Jordan? What, what Jeremiah is saying, what God is saying through Jeremiah here is, you're struggling now? You feel like giving it up now? What's going to happen when it, when it really gets tough? When, when you're going to compete with horses, as he says here. And like I said, we can look at that and say, oh man, really? It can get worse? Yeah, it can. But what I get from that is God is saying, I'll be with you. You're going to be able to run with horses. You're going to be able to make it through the thicket. Don't give up now. It's not a thing of discouragement. To me, that's an encouragement. And we have a beautiful story here of a man, Joseph, who didn't give up, continued to have that positive outlook. He had to go through difficult times, had to be wrestling with the Lord in his mind at times, but he never gave up. And you know what? He didn't have Romans 8.28 to fall back on. He couldn't say, man, I know in your word it says all things work together for good, Lord. You promised. He didn't have it in his hand. He didn't have it something he could read, but I guarantee you he had it in his heart. He knew that God was somehow, some way, going to work all of this together for good. How do I know that? Because later on he said so. We're going to see it in a couple of chapters. When he's talking to his brothers, he said, what you meant for evil... God meant for good. He didn't have anyone else to share his misery with, to bear his burden, except God. Oftentimes I, I hear uh, people say, you know, man, I feel all alone. I feel left out. I feel like I've fallen through the cracks. You know what? If, if that's you and you feel that way about me as a pastor or, or the church, I apologize for that. We, we, as a body, are supposed to come alongside one another. I hope you have people that you are close enough to that know that you're going through difficulties and you share life together. That's why we make such an important thing about small groups. But you know what? It's going to happen from time to time. Even with people that you're close to. I fail the people closest to me often. My wife, my kids. I'm human. I do that. We all do. We all, we all fail. We all forget. But you know what? God never does. God never does. He, he 
Recorded for us in Isaiah 49, verses 14 through 16, it says, But Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me, and the Lord has forgotten me. God said this back, Can a woman forget her nursing child and have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, but I will not forget you. Behold, I have inscribed you on the palm of my hand. Your walls are continually before me. I have inscribed you on the palm of my hand. We see that now fulfilled in Christ. He hung on the cross. He still bears the scars on his hands. And they're not there as a reminder to him of his love for us. It's a reminder of us, for us, of his love for us. When we doubt that, when we think, man, I'm all alone in this, we just need to look to the cross. He said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Others may. I never will. And I believe that God, in his, in his will for us, that he allows, he ordains it at times that we are left alone, that we do slip through the cracks, if you would, so that we learn to rely on him and him alone. It's easy for us to rely on others. It's easy for us to start relying too heavily on each other. And that can be, again, very dangerous and, and very faulty thinking when we need to be relying on him and him alone. As with Joseph, we need to be patient. He knows what he's doing. And your situation, no matter how bad it is right now, can radically change very, very quickly, as we're going to see as it happened to our friend Joseph as we go through the story here. He had this incredible faith that somehow God was going to work all of this through. And though Jacob was far from a perfect father, he had to instill some of these things into his son Joseph. He had to be pouring, pouring these, these truths about that he had learned about God Almighty into his son Joseph. We know that Joseph was the spoiled son. We know that he didn't spend as much time with the others as he did with Joseph. But that time that he spent with Joseph had to have some special times talking about God. And dads, grandparents, your opportunities that you have with your grandkids. It's important that we encourage them to, to do well in school, to, to have goals in life, but it's far more important that we teach them the truth about God. The, the things that when they face difficulties in their life, because they will, they need to know that they can rely on God, that they can always go to Him, regardless of whatever situation they face. And that is far more important than their ability to hit a curveball. It's far more important than the fact that they even get straight A's. Because straight A's might get them into a great college. But knowing God's word and trusting God's word and having a personal relationship with Jesus will get them through eternity. Not just grad school. Well, let's take a look at our, our study tonight. Verse four, chapter 41, verse 1. Now it happened at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream, and behold, he was standing by the Nile. And lo, from the Nile there came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed in the marsh grass. Then behold, seven other cows came up after them from the Nile, ugly and gaunt, and they stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. The ugly and gaunt cows ate up the seven sleek and fat cows. Then Pharaoh awoke. He fell asleep and dreamed a second time, and behold, seven ears of grain came up on a single stalk, plump and good. 
Then behold, seven ears, thin and scorched by the east wind, sprouted up after them. The thin ears swallowed up the seven plump and full ears. Then Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. Interesting, the the cow is a symbol for the god Isis back then, the Egyptian god, the god of fertility. They, they believed in the netherland, the afterworld that existed outside of the existing world that we're in. And the, uh, the god of, of uh, the marshes and the grasses and, and all of that there, um, Osiris, was depicted by a bull and seven cows. So the, the, the cow was very symbolic in the Egyptian culture. And here we see this, this dream where Pharaoh is, is dreaming these beautiful, lush, full, healthy cows. Seven of them are, are standing eating this beautiful, lush grass and seven horribly sick and thin cows come up and it says that they ate them, devoured them, literally chewed and swallowed them. And then he has a dream again as he sees the, the plump wheat corn growing up and then the, the sickly corn devouring that and that really just engulfing that. He, he has these dreams. He can't figure out what it is. And so verse 8, it says, Now in the morning his spirit was troubled, so he sent and called for the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. And Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was no one who could interpret them for Pharaoh. One thing I'd like to point out before we move on from here. Verse 8, it says that he called in his magicians. Now that word is magicians, diviners. Uh, fortune tellers, if you would. They did, they did magic. They did spells. They, they, they did all sorts of things. They did predict the future. A lot of people think that fortune telling and palm reading and all of those types of things are, are fake. They're phony. They're not. They're very real. And it's very demonic. It's satanic. And it's existed back throughout the ages. It's extremely real. When you drive down the street and you see the, the, it's just downtown Phoenix. I know I was going, to, when I went to a baseball game, right by where we parked, there was this big hand on the side and it had this thing. And my son asked me, what is that? You know, that, 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 it's, it's real. It's, it's satanic. It's demonic. All of those types of things. The, we look at the story of Elijah on the, on the top of Mount Carmel when he was going against the prophets of Baal. And we've talked about the story before, but the point I want to make is the prophets of Baal agreed to the contest that had a death sentence to the loser. They wouldn't have done that if they hadn't been able to do what, what the contest was before. If the contest was to be able to call down fire from the sky, you think you'd agree to that? If it didn't work, you were going to be killed? If you hadn't done it before? They were cutting themselves and crying out to the, the god Baal, who was a very real god, a demonic, satanic being who has powers nothing close to the powers of almighty god they are created beings but very real nonetheless jesus says in matthew 24 24 for false christs and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead if possible even the elect that means that they're not just little sleight of hand maneuvers these are very real magic spells. These are wonders. These are miracles that they are going to be able to perform and do perform. They're able to tell the future. 
because they're able to manipulate events to make future things come true. And it looks like, oh, man, these people must be so smart. They must be in touch with some spiritual realm. They are an evil realm. But understand this. God allows it, and God disallows it. God, un God will allow when and where and how those things might happen. God is in control. Satan can't do one thing without God's permission. He had to go get God's permission to do anything to Job, and the same is true with you. God will not allow you to be tempted. God will not allow you to experience anything that is beyond your, your ability to get through it because he knows you, and he knows what you can do, and he knows what you can handle. God is in control. And I love this because when we read in verse 8, they come to him, Pharaoh comes to them with the dreams because obviously in the past they'd been able to interpret dreams and things probably had come true or he wouldn't have gone to them. He goes to them now and they're like, we don't know. Why? Because this dream came from God. This dream came from God to Pharaoh. They had no idea how to interpret it. See, the same thing happened in Daniel chapter 2. Won't go into it a lot tonight, don't have time. Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, same thing. Calls all of the guys in. This time he doesn't tell them the dream, though. He says, you tell me the dream and its interpretation. No one could do it because it came from God. Only Daniel could. Daniel chapter 2, if you want a little homework. Well, verse 9. Then the chief cupbearer spoke to Pharaoh, saying, I would like to make mention today of my own offenses. Forgot something I was supposed to tell you. Verse 10, Pharaoh was furious with his servants, and he put me in confinement in the house of the captain of the bodyguard, both me and the chief baker. We had a dream on the same night, he and I, each of us dreamed according to the interpretation of his own dream. Now a Hebrew youth was, was with us there, a servant of the captain of the bodyguard, and we related them to him, and he interpreted our dreams for us. To each one he interpreted according to his own dream. And just as he had interpreted for us, so it happened. He restored me in my office, but he hanged him. Then Pharaoh sent and called for Joseph, and they hurriedly brought him out of the dungeon. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream, but no one can interpret it. And I have heard it said about you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph then answered Pharaoh, saying, It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Can you imagine the situation now? Here we are two years after the whole situation with the, the, the cupbearer and the baker. He gets word, Pharaoh wants to see you. He heard you can interpret dreams. Come on, you got to take a shower, you got to shave, you got to get ready to go in and meet him. Can you imagine Joseph now, 13 years, been a slave, been a prisoner. Let's make a deal, Pharaoh. I'll tell you what, I'll interpret your dream for you, but, you know, I want to get out of here. I, wanna, I want cash compensation. You know, I, I want, you know, pain and suffering for the last 13 years. You know, let's, let's, let's work something out. Joseph doesn't do any of that. Joseph understands, again, somehow, by the grace of God, he understands that it's by the grace of God, the mercy of God, the providence of God, that he is in this situation right here, right now. He takes no credit for anything he's done. He takes no credit for anything that's going to happen. He says, it's God who's going to reveal it to you. Pharaoh says, I've heard you can interpret dreams. He says, it's not me. As a matter of fact, 
it says here, you know, he quickly confesses. It says, it is not in me. Literally, that means apart from me. So if we read it the way it's literally written, apart from me, God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. He's not, he's basically saying, I'll have nothing to do with it. It's all God, 100% him. Perhaps you've seen this before if you've taken your car to a mechanic and they have it up on the back wall, their, their hourly rates. I went and looked it up because I remember seeing it before. It's $65 an hour. $75 an hour if you watch. $85 an hour if you ask questions. $95 an hour if you help. It's $115 an hour if you complain. And it's $150 an hour if you tried to fix it first and then brought it to us. Aren't you glad God doesn't operate that way? But Joseph got it. Joseph realized this is going to take a whole lot more time and it's going to be a, a whole lot more problems if I intervene in this, if I have anything to do with this. It's not me. I have nothing to do with this. I'm just a vehicle. I'm just a vessel. If we have that attitude, God can do anything through us. God can do amazing things through us, things that we never even thought possible. If we have the attitude that it's not me, I'm just a vehicle. I'm a broken vessel. I'm a sinner like everybody else, saved by grace, and God, I'm, I'm yours to use. The quickest way to lose favor with God, the quickest way to stop being used by God is to start taking glory from God. He deserves it all. And here, we're going to see Joseph used in an incredible way because he doesn't try to manipulate the situation whatsoever. He doesn't try to, try to do anything. He understands, as we all need to, the Bible tells us that we are ambassadors for Christ, an ambassador for him. We are here on his official business, not ours. Joseph had no right to ask for any special favors because he was on official business from God. The same is true with us. God, wherever, whenever, however, whatever, your deal. I'm your ambassador. I'll do what you say, and, and you take care of me as we go through it. I just trust in you in that. And that's where Joseph was with him. An ambassador, not a, not a free agent, not seeing what he can get out of the deal, just being obedient. I like this, too. It says, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. If you have the, the new King James, it's, it's, kind of, it's a little bit closer to the translation where it says an answer of peace. Peace is an important part of what is being said here. This dream that you had, Pharaoh, I've got an answer of peace for you. <laughs> it's kind of hard to imagine, you know, a cow with, or a cannibalistic cow dream to be peaceful. But the peace that's in it is when we're going to see as he interprets it is that God says, yes, there's tragedy coming, but there's a way out. I'm warning you. I am giving you plenty of time to take care of the problem. It's coming. Bad news is coming. But there's good news first. And isn't that so like God? People, people can, can look at the Bible and say, well, look at all of the terrible things that are coming. You know, I, I've, I've heard this whole thing about the tribulation period. Yeah, it's coming. But he gives us warning. And he gives us a way out. 
we give our lives to Christ, we trust in Him and Him alone for our salvation, we're not going to be around to see it. We're going to be up in heaven. It is coming. But the good news, the, the answer of peace, is that God desires all men to be saved. It's not God's desire that anyone go through the tribulation period. And He gives us all that we need to know right here. Well, continue, verse 17. So Pharaoh spoke to Joseph, In my dream, behold, I was standing on the bank of the Nile. And behold, seven cows, fat and sleek, came up out of the Nile, and they grazed in the marsh grass. Lo, seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and gaunt, such as I had never seen for the ugliness in all of the land of Egypt. And the lean and ugly cows ate up the first seven fat cows. Yet, when they had devoured them, it could not be or detected that they had devoured them, for they were just as ugly as before then I awoke. We see him adding a little bit here that we didn't see before. After the cows devour the fat cows, they're still as ugly as before. You can't even tell. Verse 22, I saw also in my dream, and behold, seven ears, full and good, came up on a single stalk. And lo, seven ears withered, thin, and scorched by the east wind, sprouted up after them. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven good ears. Then I told it to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it. Verse 25, now Joseph said to Pharaoh, Pharaoh's dreams are one and the same. God has told to Pharaoh what he is about to do. I think this is really cool right here. God has told Pharaoh what he is about to do. That's grace. That's grace. Pharaoh doesn't even believe in God. Pharaoh isn't even a follower of God. And it says, right, Joseph says specifically, God is talking to you, Pharaoh. He's giving you a heads up. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 45, he causes his, his son to shine, to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. That's what I love about grace. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it. And it's available to all. Well, verse 26, the seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one and the same. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years, and the seven thin ears scorched by the east wind will be seven years of famine. It is as I have spoken to Pharaoh. God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. Behold, seven years of great abundance are coming in the land of Egypt. And after them, seven years of famine will come. And all the abundance will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. And the famine will ravage the land. So the abundance will be unknown in the land because of the subsequent famine, for it will be very severe. Now as for the repeating of the dream to Pharaoh twice, it means that the matter is determined by God and God will quickly bring it about. Again, we see in just this passage here three more times where Joseph says, it's all God. God's revealing this to you. God is certain, he's behind it. This is certainly gonna happen. God has shown it to Pharaoh, giving all, all credit to God. God's doing it, and he's the one revealing it to you. Verse 33, now let Pharaoh look for a man discerning and wise and send him out over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh Take action to appoint overseers in charge of the land and let him exact a fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven years of abundance. 
Then let them gather all the food for these good years that are coming and store up the grain for, for food in the cities under Pharaoh's authority and let them guard it. Let the food become as a reserve for the land for the seven years of famine which will occur in the land of Egypt so that the land will not perish during the famine. Now the proposal seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his servants. <laughs> Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom is a divine spirit? So Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has informed you of all of this, there is no one so discerning and wise as you are. Now we see more people seeing this godly man, seeing the spirit of God on Joseph. Pharaoh and even his wicked servants, his demonic spirit, demonic spirit servants see this in Joseph. You shall be over my house, and according to your command, all my people shall do homage. Only in the throne will I be greater than you. Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took off his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put the gold necklace around his neck. And he had him ride in his second chariot, and they proclaimed before him, Bow the knee. And he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Joseph, or Pharaoh said to Joseph, Though I am Pharaoh, yet without your permission, no one shall raise a hand or a foot in the land of Egypt. Talk about a change of fortune. You wake up one morning, you're a prisoner. You, by, by lunchtime, you're second in command of all of Egypt. You, you, you are in control. It says not, no one can raise their hand or their foot. Obviously, that's an exaggeration, but that means you can tell anyone what to do. You are in complete control, second only to Pharaoh. And, he, and the way he puts it is, it's only in the throne will I be greater than you. Basically saying, you have the same authority I do everywhere except over me. That's it. What, what an amazing turn of events for this young man. It wasn't on Joseph's agenda. Again, he didn't go in asking for anything. I have to admit or think that his whole thought process behind this was, I'm just going to interpret the dream. I can't be this guy. He did say, you do need somebody to oversee this but I don't think he was interviewing for a job. He's, he's a foreigner. He's a slave. He's a prisoner. He's completely inexperienced to do something like this. And he's a, he's a young man. He's never, he's never been in business. He was When he was a young man in his teens, he was helping oversee the shepherding business his dad had, but certainly nothing to this extent. But we see again God's spirit on Joseph. So much so that it's recognized by people who don't even know God, but they can see it in him. We've seen that repeated over and over from the very beginning. If you remember back to the, the dreams he had when he, they shared him, he shared them with, with his brothers. We talked about the fact that you don't get jealous over a dream. They must have been jealous because they saw something in Joseph. They saw this godly work in Joseph. And Potiphar and the jailer, and the baker and the, and the, um, the cupbearer, and now Pharaoh and his servants. He went through a lot of career changes by the time he was 30. Been through a lot of different, completely different things that he had done. I guess when I look at that, we need to say that don't get comfortable where you are. Don't get locked into this is all I know how to do. 
I know a lot of people who are struggling right now for work and they continue to keep interviewing in the same areas and the same things and they keep saying the doors aren't opening, the doors are closed, the doors are closed here. Look at what God did. He took a, he took a, a shepherd boy and made him vice president. He, no training, no anything. We need to realize that God works in a completely different arena than the world does. So many times, and I, we had a, a little getaway this weekend, and um, I just feel really challenged as leadership within the church, too, that so often we say that we, and you've heard the cliche, you know, God opens doors and God's closed doors. That's absolutely true. As a matter of fact, Revelation 3 tells us that God opens doors that no man can close, and he closes door that doors that no man can open. That's absolutely true. But there was also a time when the disciples were gathered together in a room upstairs hiding and praying, and Jesus appeared amongst them. So not only do doors have, he opens and closes doors, but he goes through doors. He goes through walls. And if we're willing to follow him, he will take us through those things. Look at what, I mean, we don't have to go any further than this very story. Look at what he did with Joseph. Somebody completely unqualified for the job, but perfectly qualified for the job because he's got the hand of God on him. Verse 45. Then Pharaoh named Joseph Zephanath Paneah, and he gave him Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, as his wife. And Joseph went forth over the land of Egypt. Now Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. During the seven years of plenty, the land brought forth abundantly. And he gathered all the food of these seven years which occurred in the land of Egypt and placed the food in cities. He placed it in every city the food from its own surrounding fields. Thus Joseph stored up grain in great abundance like the sand of the sea until he stopped measuring it, for it was beyond measure. Again, isn't that the way God blesses? Far beyond what we can imagine or even think. Joseph was, had been given a, this plan by God, but it, obviously he was measuring it for a while, but then he realized, man, God is just going to go way beyond even what I thought. I'm going to even quit counting it. Way above and beyond. Verse 50, it says, Now before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph, whom Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On, bore to him. Joseph named the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my trouble in all my father's household. He named the second Ephraim, for he said, God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. If you've been sleeping up to this point, Give me your attention for a couple of minutes because this is so huge. Here we have Joseph. He has two sons. The first son he names Manasseh. Manasseh means causing to forget or forgetting. And look at what it says. It says, God has made me forget all my trouble in all my father's household. Now, if we read that, does forgetting mean that he can't remember? Obviously not, because he just said it. So what does it mean? 
Well, turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. Paul says, Not that I have already obtained it, or have already become perfect, but I press on, so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. One thing I do, Paul says. One thing. We can get so involved in so many things that we lose focus of the one thing that we need to be focused on. I think that that's one of the big things that the enemy loves to do, especially with Christians, is keep us really, really busy so that we lose focus from the one thing. We need to focus on the one thing, running the race that God has set before us. Paul says it here, that he presses on so that he may lay hold of that for which also he was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. All of us have been laid hold of by Christ Jesus. We all have been given a race to run, and our focus needs to be there. Athletes succeed by specialization, not by generalization. They specialize in an event. They work towards that event, and that's what makes them Olympians. The important aspect that I want to focus on here is what he says next. Forgetting what lies behind. Again, does that mean that we forget, erase it from our mind, what lies behind us? No. Because we can't do that. If you've seen the movie Men in Black, they make you look into this little thing and it takes your little flash thing and it erases your memory. You can't remember anything that happened. Don't you wish we had that? Don't you wish that was a reality? I do. I wish I could erase a whole lot of my past, but I can't. So what does it mean to forget what lies behind? It means that it has no more influence on you. It means that it doesn't manipulate or control you anymore. We talk about the fact that when we confess our sin, our sin is forgotten. Is God an omniscient God? That means it's not out of his memory. It can't be. But our sin, if we, if we have trusted in Christ, has been transferred to him. He has taken our sin. It's done, the old say, it's the, being justified is just as if I'd never sinned. But it doesn't mean as, just as if the sin never happened. The sin occurred. And there was a penalty to be paid. Christ paid it for us. But the forgetting of it means that it no longer influences or affects my relationship with God. We can't change the past, but we can change the meaning of the past. It doesn't have to have the control over us that it's had. 
If you, if you were mistreated by someone in the past, if you've gone through difficult times, if, you, if you've had a, a history of, of sin in your life, you can't change that, but you can change the meaning of it. it can, the meaning can completely change. The sin's been, been taken care of. The penalty for your sin has been paid. You can now use that to go out and change the world, change someone else's life. You can relate to somebody now better than anyone else can because you've been through what they're going through. You can change the meaning of your past. Forgetting what lies behind. There's an interesting thing about the past, too. What I just said is in the past. It happened that fast. (laughs) So anything that happened to you this afternoon is in the past. Forgetting what lies behind. That's good things too, by the way, not just bad things. All of those things that you're really, really proud of, those are in the past. Forget those things. Move ahead, focus. Reaching forward to what lies ahead. Looking forward. Paul says it's the pride. The upward call of Christ. We'll, we'll all stand before him one day and he'll say, well done, well done. That's the upward call. That's the, w- when we run the race that's laid out before us in his power, in his strength, focusing on him, the author and perfecter of our faith, we finish the race and he says, well done, well done. But we can't do that if we're looking behind us. How many world-class sprinters do you see when they take off running? They run like this. None of them. They don't look at the lane next to them either to see how their opponents are running. They look straight ahead to the finish line. Well, it's interesting. Manasseh, forgetting. The second son, Ephraim, meaning fruitful. Actually means doubly fruitful. Guys, we can't be doubly fruitful fruitful if we're living in the past if we're focused on the past if we're controlled by things that have happened to us in the past we can't be as fruitful as we could be we can't be we're weighed down by things that aren't supposed to be affecting us i i think i i love what he says again here he says god has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Where did he make him fruitful? Right where he was. Right in the middle of the place that seemed so hopeless and so helpless. But Joseph kept forgetting what lies behind and kept looking forward to God. What are you going to do? I, I hear it all the time. I read it in the prayer requests that come over. When I'm talking to people, if I could, if I could just get out of this place if i could just get out of this job and get a different job if i could just get out of this relationship i don't know how but if i could just get out i know i'd be happy guys bear fruit where you're planted that's where god's planted you that's where he's fertilizing you that's where he's watering you that's where you can bear fruit 
thinking about what lies, what lies behind, the things in the past. Focus on what's ahead. Again, listen to what he says. This is the man who, who just a few years before was in this hopeless situation. God has made me forget all my trouble in my father's household. God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. He gets it. All of that stuff, it's meaningless because of what he's done now. And he's not even in heaven yet. It even gets better there. <laughs> Jesus told us that in this life, we're going to have difficulties. We're going to have trials. We're going to have suffering. But it's all worth it. He's going to get us through it all. We're going to grow, grow because of it. We're going to be used because of it. And we're going to be rewarded because of it. Romans 8.18, For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. It's not even worthy to be compared to what we're going to have when we get to heaven. By the way, I really don't think we're going to remember much about it. When I was a kid, I remember the, the story. I don't remember it happening. I've seen pictures. I've seen the evidence. But I was riding my bike down the street, and I go whipping into the neighbor's uh, driveway, and their car was parked at the end of the driveway. And my front tire hit their bumper, and my chin, I went right through the wind, back window, chin first. Busted my chin open, needed stitches, knocked a couple teeth out. Traumatic. I don't remember it. It's not a big part of my childhood. I remember the good stuff. Oh, we got to finish up here real quickly. 53. When the seven years of plenty which had been in the land of Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began to come, just as Joseph had said, then there was famine in all the lands. But in all the land of Egypt there was bread. So when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried out to Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, what are you bothering me for? Go to Joseph. Whatever he says to do, you shall do. When the famine was sp spread all over the face of the earth, then Joseph opened up all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians. And the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. The people of all the earth came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe in all the earth. Just a couple of points and then we're done. Past prosperity is no guarantee of the future. And that's individually and as a country. Just because we've been going right along and everything's been going great doesn't mean it can't change like that. Ask the people in Boston. One afternoon, everything's going great, enjoying a race. Next thing, tragedy strikes. By the way, another thing. It says that Joseph, his way of dealing with this, the, 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 the whole thing that God had revealed to them was that they were taxed, basically, 20%. You mean I have to live on 80%? I can't do that. No way. Well, now you know what they're living on in the time of famine? They're living on that 20%. You know what? They're still living. We're so spoiled in this country. We think there's no way. Oh, I can't, I can't, I can't give up another thing. I had a whole bunch more to say on that, but we don't have time. 
Anyway, one last thing, again, just on this, where going back to where we started, so many people give up way too soon. I grew up, many of you know, in Denver, huge Bronco fan. Many t it's usually three, four times a year I'd go to games. One night, Monday night football. Place is packed. We had seats, great seats. They're down 14, about eight minutes to go in the game. I'm thinking, let's beat traffic and get out of here. Big mistake. As we're leaving, just as we're walking out, huge roar goes up, right? Well, find out as we get out there, we could hear it over the t you know, PA system, John Elway throws a touchdown pass, so they're down seven. Well, there's only like two and a half, three minutes left. Game's still over. Fumble. Next thing you know, we're not even across the parking lot. We hear the roar again, another touchdown. We get to the car, turn it on, just enough time to hear the kick, the game-winning field goal. And we walked away and missed the whole thing. <laughs> Let me tell you, gang, the greater than John Elway is telling you, don't you give up. Don't you give up. No matter how bad it seems right now, no matter how bleak it looks, don't you give up. Again, we, we talked about this this last week. We see the present. We're standing right here and we're looking right around our, in our circumstances. God sees the future. God has, sees the potential. He knows what he's doing. We need to trust in him. Believe that he's got it all, over, all taken care of. It's not over till he says it's over. And by the way, when he says it's over, we win. <laughs> Let's pray. Lord, you are so good, and we are so blessed to know you as our Lord and our Savior. Jesus, we thank you for what you did on our behalf so that we can have this relationship with you, that we can, we can have this personal, intimate knowledge of you. And Lord, I'm so blessed as to how you reveal yourself to us in your word. Lord, the things that we go through are very real. The difficulties are very, very real, and the hurts are, are very, very painful. But Lord, you know that, and you're right there with us. And Lord, my intent tonight is not to make light of anyone's personal, individual situation. Lord, you care intimately about those details. But Lord, I pray that all of us are encouraged to know that you're in control, that you hold everything in the palm of your hand, and we can trust you. Lord, thank you for this time. Bless us as we go. Let us be a blessing to others the rest of this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for your patience. Go get your kids. Have a great week.